Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a flea flicker across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. All right, man. Uh, dang, you, you're, you're bringing out all the trick plays. It's only week three, so. I mean, I got to spice dang. it up a little bit. You know, know. week three, we didn't what have we any have top 25 matchups, but we did have yeah, a lot of fun upsets. Um, and we'll get to talking so about those. for all listeners – yeah. Uh, well, yeah, let's, we can't, let's do that. We can't get to talking about those, though, without the third amigo in the second city. A man who has never slowed down by a little lightning delay. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. It was the longest delay that I can recall for Iowa football. In fact, I'm struggling to even come up with a game that's had a delay. I know uh, that there is a monsoon against Tennessee Tech a few years ago, and I feel like Josh, what about Did, last week in the Washington versus Cal game? I'd say that Iowa was a part of. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, the closest I could come up with was there was a game a few years ago against Tennessee Tech that Iowa was blowing them out, and then the rain came, and it was crazy monsoon. And I feel like they did a running clock um, and maybe even shortened the fourth quarter. Um, but, yeah, there was not a delay in Iowa football history that comes to mind. Yeah, like a, like a 10-minute fourth quarter or something like that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, speaking of which, we had uh, an interesting week three. Uh, no top 25 matchups, but plenty of upsets in the top 25 nonetheless. Before we get to some of those big games, including the Cyhawk and one of the most insane endings I've seen in quite a while. Uh, cue be sound in the kicking game. Um, let's first check up on our ah, adopted teams. teams and, uh, Josh, your Eastern Michigan screaming Eagles, uh, took away the undefeated season from Lovey Smith's Illinois team. Yeah, they did. And they did it in impressive fashion. They built a really, really big lead, then gave it all away, uh, but then won it late. Um, but they racked up almost 500 yards of offense. They were really sound, only two penalties to nine for Illinois. They won the turnover margin. Uh, they just had a really nice day, and I've mentioned him quite a few times, but their quarterback, Glass the Third, has been on fire. Mike Glass the Third. Keep him in mind for potential Mac player of the year. He keeps doing what he's doing. He just shredded a Power 5 defense with 316 yards, an 8.8-yard average, and three touchdowns. Uh, he's got just kind of a um, – I know the interceptions are low in this game, so it's not a great comparison because he's known for throwing a lot of interceptions. But he has a little bit of some Brett Favre fearlessness to chucking it into really small windows. Obviously, we're talking about an NFL Hall of Famer and a kid at Eastern Michigan – 
we don't know what his career is going to pan out to be. So I'm not saying that it's the same. I'm saying the mentality in which they play was the same. Yeah, it was quite an impressive victory because Illinois had looked, you know, as strong as Illinois has to open the year in a while now. Agreed. Uh, so that was impressive. Um, on the flip side, though, coach of uh, the state of Michigan, the other uh, directional Michigan school, Western Michigan, beat your Georgia State Panthers uh, pretty handily. Yeah, 57 to 10. Uh, they show Tennessee what you're supposed to do against the Sun Belt team. Um, and what was <laughs> – you liked that, didn't you? I did. I, um, I really liked that. What was, what was very interesting in this is Levante Bellamy led the way. Uh, rushing for 192 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Western Michigan actually totaled a school record seven rushing touchdowns in their throttle against Georgia State. Um, Also, uh, Bellamy had 11 carries for 170 yards and three touchdowns at the half. Okay, so most of his production was at the half. That's a a pretty good uh, yards per carry average there on, on just 11 carries. But um Sean Sean Tyler also finished with 138 yards rushing he pitched in with two touchdowns um what 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 got the thing going uh, and probably what what broke Georgia State's confidence was when Bellamy broke that 60 yarder to start the scoring early um and then he had another 73 yard touchdown at the beginning of the second quarter so and I've been a part of games both coaching watching uh and, and playing in, actually. Uh, there was a game I lost my senior year. We lost 14-7, to and the two touchdowns were 82 and 78 yards um, by a kid who actually ended up playing for 10 years with the Dallas Cowboys and a couple with your Buffalo Bills Ooh. to shard choice. Um, oh, yeah. Fantastic running back. He went, uh, unfortunately for you, Coach, he went to Tech. Yes. He signed <laughs> out of high school. He signed with Oklahoma. Um, then some dude named Adrian Peterson came in and took his yeah, job. Yeah, so that's right. So he transferred on a hardship waiver and uh, and ended up at Georgia Tech. He's actually coaching at. He's an assistant coach at Georgia Tech now. Um, fun fact of the day. I, I always wanted the Bills to utilize him more. He was one of my favorite players in Madden because he had a great combination of uh, acceleration and shiftiness. And yeah, for and his size, he was, uh, I don't know, I guess he was like, he was fantastic on paper. I, he was someone I wanted the Bills to utilize a lot more. Uh, yeah, he, so. he was a solid contributor. He, I, I don't think he ever had the, had it in him to, to carry a team as, as a lead back, but he was always a good complimentary guy. But anytime, I guess the, the, the moral of this, or the moral of the story, or, or the, the, the reason why, why I bring that up is because two long touchdowns like that are just demoralizing. You know, mm-hmm. because yeah. it just it just happened so quickly, and all of a sudden, wow! Okay, that just struck us. The crowd's in a frenzy, and we don't know what what to do. Um, and to make things worse, uh, Sean Tyler also uh, one of his touchdowns was a sixty-one yard scoring scamper. So, um, you know, it it just the illusion of guys running up and down the field makes you go, okay, it's not our day. So, anyway, um, uh, Western Michigan will go up against Syracuse uh, next week. So, um, Well, yeah, luckily uh, for you, though, Coach, Georgia State will be playing uh, at Texas State. Texas State, one of the worst teams in the country. They've been outscored by yes. opponents uh, 111-38 to 38 so far this season. So. Yes, sure, surely they'll – 
surely they'll get it going. Uh, I think, but I, I, yeah, Georgia State, though, doesn't really need to uh, pick themselves up after uh, being thrashed, as does East Carolina. East Carolina got doubled up by so, – hey, uh, One yes, question, coach. Matt. Do yes, you coach. think uh, some dude in Kalamazoo is going to run a video truck and play the highlights of, of these long touchdown runs? Uh, somehow I doubt it. <laughs> somehow I doubt okay. it. Carry on. <laughs> um no uh anyway yeah <laughs> as i was saying ecu uh my adopted team got absolutely trounced by navy uh navy more than doubled them up in total yards 468 to 222 final score is 42 to 10 east carolina didn't stand a chance you know you're doing poorly when your quarterback throws for less yards than navy's quarterback uh oh. malcolm, Ma- malcolm perry had himself a day uh, five for seven for 151 yards, two scores, and no picks through the air. 24 carries, 156 yards, and four scores on the ground. Uh, he was nothing short of outstanding. East Carolina had zero answer for him. Uh, he had a hun- he had over uh, 300 total yards, uh, 300 yards of total offense, and East Carolina could just get nothing going. Um, they averaged less than three yards a carry on the ground. Um, their quarterback. Uh, Holton Ehlers, he has struggled a little bit. But lucky for them, they've got uh, FCS William & Mary uh, next week. And in the words of Lou Holtz, um, was it Lou Holtz who said they were a little bit more uh, Mary than William today or whatever? It was Lou Holtz. Among his many, many coaching stops was William & Mary. All right. Um, so yeah, okay. I pulled that one out of my rear end. Um, well, uh, quick slant, Josh, uh, what did you want to talk about today before we get into the big games? Yeah. So when we preview, uh, our preview show a little later in the week, I'll do the opposite, which are teams that are three, and zero and off to a nice start. Uh, but I'm going to run through real quick, the six currently O and three teams. So they've had three cracks at it. And have nothing to show for it. And I've got them in three categories. Teams that are done. Teams that I'm giving one more week to see if they can get their act together. And one that I think has an outside chance of waking up a little bit. So the first team that's done is Akron. They have looked just awful defensively. And they're coming off a 45-24 beatdown against a Central Michigan team that none of us think is going to be going anywhere. Next up is Massachusetts. This is one of the worst teams in college football. They got blown out by Rutgers, got blown out by FCS Southern Illinois, and are now coming off a 52-17 drubbing down at Charlotte. Good for the 49ers, not so good for the Minutemen. And Matt, your team, UCLA, stick a fork in them, they're done. Uh, they have no offense. They can only score 14 points per game. Josh, and, they, are the, they are the hottest of hot garbage. Yeah. And they're about to hit the Pac-12 slate. And Pac-12 mm-hmm. has some frisky teams this year. So, Pac-12 uh, South is stronger this year uh, than it has been in a minute. Yeah, not looking good for the Bruins. Uh, two teams that I'm going to give one more chance to swing at the pinata. The first is New Mexico State. Uh, they opened with road trips to Washington State and Alabama. Their last game was against San Diego State, a team that we can, we think can contend for the Mountain West. That's a pretty tough slate. They traveled to New Mexico next, a rivalry. The Lobos look awful. If the Aggies pull that out, 
then it opens up a little bit. They have Liberty on the schedule twice. Maybe they, they get going. Who knows? Uh, so I'm going to give a wait and see to the Aggies. Uh, another team I'm going to give a quick wait and see to. It's a very, very brief one, but it is that Texas State team. I, I agree. They've looked awful through three weeks. But Wyoming and SMU are pleasant surprises. Texas A&M looks pretty good. Maybe they beat Georgia State. After that, they have Nickel State. So maybe they'll be two and three here in a couple weeks. Who knows? That's why they're a wait and see. The last team, a team that I'm deceptively thinking can turn things around despite the terrible start. Um, Rice almost beat Army, who is really good. They hung with Wake Forest for a while. And yeah, they got blown out by Texas, but that was expected. They have Baylor next. That's going to be tough. But after that, they hit their conference slate. And the way some of the teams have looked, Middle Tennessee hasn't lived up to any sort of expectation. North Texas hasn't lived up to any expectation. UTEP is one of the worst teams in the country. Texas San Antonio isn't particularly good. There's no reason the Owls can't recreate some of the stuff they showed against both Army and Wake and get a few conference wins. So I'm going to give the Owls a little bit of time, maybe in a few weeks, they've approached 500 ball, but those are the teams that are 0-3 right now and have dug themselves one big hole. Absolutely, yeah, it's not looking too hot for them right now. Uh, UCLA, Josh, just to put a bow on it, um, Halloween, is Chip Kelly still employed in Westwood? He's got a huge buyout, but that stadium's empty. That stadium was mostly Oklahoma fans. They couldn't literally give away tickets to the game. Yeah. It's pathetic. The problem is, and their fans will be the first to admit it, they're in one of those awful situations where the athletic director cannot be trusted to hire the next coach. So they need to find a way for the administration to dump the athletic director before they can worry about Chip Kelly. Because if Dan Guerrero gets another crack at hiring a coach, it's just going to be another awful, awful situation. I don't trust Guerrero at all. But what if Guerrero hires me? I mean, well, well, then we're all in. But um, But coach, you're you're you've got brain cells, and Dan Guerrero doesn't. So, (laughs) oh, that's true. Yeah, we wouldn't be a good fit together then. (sighs) Um, yeah. And I think part of the problem, it's always it's just and it just get gets worse and worse every year, is getting to Pasadena from Westwood. If you're a UCLA student, it takes an hour and a half each way to get to the game, between the amount of time it takes to go, park, etc. Um, it's an hour and a half to get to the game, and a lot of UCLA students don't have a way to get there besides like the Bruin buses, which are you know. I mean, that's fine, but But it's not the same atmosphere as even, you know, USC, which they can walk to the LA Coliseum. But Matt, losing does so much awful for that. If UCLA was a top 10 team, those students would find a way to go. Yeah, okay, that's true. That's true. The Rose Bowl would be filled. But at least at a place, you know, um, uh, other places that have on-campus stadiums, you at least get – some people show up, you can't like get, just give away tickets. Like the fact that they had to give away tickets to a top five Oklahoma team, they could not give away tickets. It's, it's a sad, sad state of Bruin football. So, 
I'm unhappy about it. Coach, uh, what's your quick slant this uh, today? Oh, I, I thought my quick slant was Georgia State. But anyway, I'll, I'll talk about the other school in Georgia, just just also uh, reminding Tennessee that, hey, when you play a Sunbelt team, this is what you're supposed to do. Um, but before you even get started on that, I think we need to acknowledge the pink out that happened for yes, Blake Anderson's yes, life. I, yeah, that was that. the first thing I was going to acknowledge in that game. That was – that was now, a very, very great thing that, that Georgia fans did. Now, usually Georgia fans It got a little misty here in the England Perkins household. Yeah, I, I, was, I was chopping onions. Um, mm-hmm. da- those daggum onions were, were killing me. Um, it, it was a little dusty, too. Was, all, all, the, all the things messing with my allergies. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it was it – was, I'm sure it was uh, even more surreal for, for Blake Anderson. I'm, you know, I can only imagine how he felt walking in, just seeing 93,000 people in pink, um, you know, doing, you know, showing him support and everything. So, you know, that was, that was a great thing to see. Um, and I'm glad that Georgia fans could put their obnoxiousness to the side and, and, and support something like that. That's bigger than any of us. Uh, so, uh, that was good to see, um, and it was also good to see Georgia get off to such a such a hot start uh, in that game, um, and never really relinquished anything. Um, they never really let up. It, it seemed like they were awake for that entire game, um, and, and not just treating it like a uh, like a sleepwalking game. So uh, there was a lot of good. Uh, George Pickens has really uh, really come on, and and I was really impressed with him. Um, not that he hasn't been good to this point, but I think you're starting to kind of see what he offers. He's a good deep threat, good jump ball guy. Um, he is the new uh, Javon Wims. He's the new Riley Ridley, you know, the back shoulder guy that Fromm likes to like to throw to. That's that's freshman George Pickens. So, um, you know, DeAndre Swift had a great game. Uh, Zeus, uh, Zamir White had a good game. Uh, Brian Harrion, the, run, the, the running game was – obviously on point as as always uh you know defense came out just that defensive front just came out Aziz Ojolari um led the way uh just a lot of good people got a lot of good reps uh the mailman Stetson Bennett got some good quality uh got some good quality reps and when when the game was well in hand I'm glad to I was glad to see Kirby not just uh turn and hand it off uh every single time and he ran the offense with with the backups in and that was that was good experience there and uh just a lot of good general things about this game i could go into statistics and stats and all that stuff but really that doesn't matter um in games like these it just matters that you see guys playing hard and playing focused and it it shows that they're bought into the culture and bought into the standard and not not worried about focused on who they're playing so that was good all of that was good and yeah. and Arkansas State just honestly they have a good team they're just going they just ran into a buzzsaw to be honest with you yeah it, it, i mean that was going to be a tough environment for them to be uh you know i think well obviously for any team to step into at this point uh, going to Sanford Stadium is no uh easy task but then especially you know they're a Sunbelt team even if they're a good Sunbelt team they're still a Sunbelt team playing Georgia in Athens. So I want to quickly get to the two FCS games I previewed on our last show. Uh, I'll start um, in uh, in the great state of Maine, where Towson uh, came into Orono and uh, pretty handily uh, 
put a beat down on the Black Bears, 45 to 23. Yidi Yidi Thainrat, who is which is a phenomenal name. Uh, he had nine nine carries, 24 yards, and four touchdowns. Um, Josh, uh, do you know who Towson's quarterback is? Who? Um, that's going to be a big fat no. His big brother is a current NFL quarterback. So it's not Byron Lethwich, brother. Uh, no, it is the uh, the brother of one uh, Joe Flacco, Tom Flacco's brother. Oh, Joe Flacco's brother, Tom, uh, threw for two thirty two. Towson put up forty five on Maine, and it was uh, just you know not a good day around. Towson got up early and was able to just really pull away in the second half. But the other game I previewed, uh, Eastern Washington at Jacksonville State, turned out to be. Uh, quite the contest uh, down there in Jacksonville, Alabama. Uh, Jacksonville State uh, scored 21 in the fourth quarter to come from behind to beat the Eagles. The Eagles, it seems, in recent years are completely unable to win away from the Crimson Turf um, up there um, uh, in the Evergreen State. Um, And on the road, they lose another heartbreaker. Uh, Jacksonville State, um, you know, did uh you know you know didn't out gain them but they had a key pick six uh in the second quarter and in um the last quarter of the game uh jacksonville state was able to uh get a couple of uh uh, scores including one after a blocked punt and uh jacksonville state improves to two and one uh eastern washington now one and two on the season but one of those losses was against uh the University of Washington in week one of the season. Um, Jacksonville State, though, really needed this. They uh, lost a surprising one to Southeast Louisiana uh, earlier in the season, and they needed uh, they needed something to get their season back on track. And um, even though it wasn't the prettiest of victories, they still managed to get a couple defensive scores, some big special teams play, and get back on the right track. All right, guys, uh, time for you to put down uh, your sheets, take out your number two pencils, and grab a Scantron. Uh, It is time for the pop quiz. Tonight's question. Currently, there are over 13 quarterbacks averaging 10 yards per attempt um, on our young season. Um, That's a pretty high number. No quarterback in the history of college football has ever finished with a uh, career uh, yards per attempt number of 10 or better. There are 19 quarterbacks, however, who have quarterbacks who have finished with a uh, career uh, who have averaged more than nine yards per attempt for their careers. None of them are currently active and the minimum is 700 pass attempts. So guys who were one year wonders think of um, like Kyler Murray last year, Kyler Murray was over 10 yards per attempt last year, but he did not have 700 career uh, attempts um, would not qualify for this list. It's basically 27 attempts a game for two years. Uh, if you want to do the quick math in your head, um, I will. So yeah, 19 names. None of them are active. Josh, I will throw it out to you first. Well, since you said can't be one year wonders, I can quickly cross off Kyler Murray from my mm-hmm. list. And I can unfortunately quickly cross off Dwayne Haskins off my list. Mm-hmm. So uh, my first guess then is going to be a guy who's unfortunately had quite the rough pro career due to injuries, but 
goddamn Sam Bradford threw for a ton of yards at Oklahoma. Yeah. Sam Bradford uh, tied for sixth all time, 9.4 yards per attempt, coach. Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty good. Coach, you'd be pretty happy if your quarterbacks were throwing nine yards uh, per attempt, right? Yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> I'd be even happier if they were completing it for nine yards per attempt. Um, we, I, think we th- I think our attempts are like 50 yards apiece, but we complete maybe two and a half percent of them. Um, and half of that two and a half percent is to the other team. So um, your dad gum right. So uh, I'm going to go back in the way back machine. Um, and I'm going to say Ty Detmer. Ty Detmer is uh, correct. Number two all time, 9.8 yards per attempt uh, between 88 and 91 from BYU. A uh, great guest coach. Uh, just want to note, uh, I, I will give you guys a hint. The earliest, the first quarterback to do this, uh, uh, their freshman year was in 1977. So we're basically looking at 1977 till today. So if you're going to go with Otto Graham, um, did not qualify. Red Grain. Oh, okay, I'm going to mark Red Grange off the list. Okay, good. All right. Sweet. Josh. Well, Ty Detmer was my next one, so I will cross uh, that off the list. Um, he might not have played long enough. So Matt, you'll have to fill me in on if I need to give another guess, but um, did Baker Mayfield play enough? Yeah. He's tied with tied up for, for number two oh, all time. Because remember go. if you factor in, he was, uh, you know, Oklahoma basically for two years plus uh, two years at Texas tech. Yeah. Um, he yeah, he had plenty of attempts in those air raid systems. You know, he probably averaged 35 attempts per game for his career. Yeah, um, well, well done. That was my next guess. Yeah, stealing each other's guesses. Okay, so, um, well, I'm gonna cross Gardner Minshew off the list because he only played for one year. But mm-hmm. let's stay with the Pirate and let's go with the current starting quarterback for the New York Jets, Luke Falk. Ooh, Luke Falk. That is not a bad uh, guess, but unfortunately, um, he uh, did not uh, make it into the top uh, 250 all time. So maybe not the best guess. Or maybe he just didn't qualify. Maybe he didn't have 700 yards, 700 attempts. So sorry, coach. God, he's he's an air raid guy. I know. You would think he would. Um, Hold on. If you give me a second. Luke Falk from 20. So for his career, he averaged 7.1 yards per attempt. No, it's not too far away. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, But I mean, he had, yeah, he had over 2000 career attempts. So, (laughs) which is absurd, but yeah, 7.1, the, the, the cutoff for 750th all time is 7.7. The immortal Chris Leak from Florida. God. Seriously? Yeah. Oh. But that's what top 250. We only need the top 19. Oh, okay. Cool. Gosh. All right. Well, this is going to sound odd, but he had a lot of weapons around him, and they didn't have him pass a whole lot. So – it's kind of a good combination in that he wasn't going to have a whole bunch of incompletions. So believe it or not, I'm going to put Timothy Tebow. 
he is tied for ninth all time, 9.3 yards per attempt. Yeah. Yeah. The, the motion was jerky. He didn't necessarily have the most yards. Yeah, but all he had to do was just get into the hands of Percy Harvin. And exactly. Percy, Percy Harvin in college was one of the, the spectacles to behold. Sorry, coach. But he was amazing in college. Yeah, he was. Uh, he, yeah. He, he was outstanding. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was someone you wish you had on your team. Yeah. So, yep. coach. He was. Um, so, I'm going to go. Uh, speaking of uh, Timmy's, I'm going to go with uh, the flying Hawaiian, Timmy Chang. Always a good guess. Uh, oh, come on. Sorry, Coach. Didn't make come it. On. No, Timmy Chang, uh, for his career, only seven yards per attempt. Mm. Mm. Uh, right. jo- Josh. Well, since it's only um, – No yaks for Hawaii. Since it's only 700 attempts, I'm going to cross off Brad Banks because he only played one year, but he averaged a ton of passes. But I'm going to stick with Iowa, believe it or not. Um, he was really, really efficient, so kind of the same thinking as Tim Tebow, uh, maximizing his efficiency. And I'm going to go in my Wayback Machine with Chuck Long. Ooh, Chuck Long, Josh, just missed out. 8.7. Dang it! Uh, yeah, that was a great choice. But he wasn't even the top Iowa quarterback on this list. There wasn't. There was not. There's not an Iowa quarterback in the top 19. But someone. Oh. There's another Iowan who did was better than 8.7. My guess would be Brad Banks, but he only played the one year. Chuck Hartlieb. Oh yeah. Yep. Chuck Hartlieb. Yeah. Five to 88. 8.8 yards per attempt for yeah. his career. He was phenomenal. Didn't quite have the same team success that Chuck Long had, uh, but he was a hell of a quarterback for Iowa. Also. Yeah, they had back-to-back Chucks under center. There you go. They they had a Chuck playing quarterback from 81 to 88. A fun fact about Chuck Long, he has an NCAA record for most appearances in bowl games, uh, which will never be broken. Because he has five, right? Yeah. Well, nowadays nowadays you could because you could use that bowl game as one of your four redshirt games. True, but uh, yeah, I guess it could be tied mm -hmm. uh, potentially. Um, maybe a hardship waiver, weird stuff like that. But until the recent rule change, um, it would have been impossible for anyone to match his record. Coach? Okay. All right. I've got to get back on the wagon here. So I'm going to <laughs> get back in the wayback machine because I seem to do better with that. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Thunder Dan Marino. Thunder Ooh, like Dan Marino. Uh, is incorrect. What? Uh, Dan Marino for his career is seven point one yards per attempt. Hmm. So sorry, coach. That is your third strike. Uh, Josh, anymore? You have off the top of your head. Yeah, I had two left on my list. Uh, mm-hmm. They were my the last two chambers in my guessing firearm. Um, one is just now getting his first crack at being an NFL starter because of the Ben Roethlisberger injury. So his name kind of popped up in my head recently. Uh, but Oklahoma State's great. My Mason Rudolph. Uh, he is, num- he is uh, number six all time, 9.4 yards per attempt. Yeah. And He's then I new starting quarterback for the Bad News Burtons. <laughs> and then um, the other quarterback I thought of, um, I, was, I was thinking about, some of the best that Steve Spurrier had, and I decided to go with the Heisman Trophy winner, Danny Warfel. 9.3 for his career. 
and that exhausted my list. I had no other guesses past that. So, uh, honorable mention, Coach Aaron Murray was eight point nine, one tenth of a yard short short per attempt for his yeah, career to make the yeah, list. Yeah, I knew I knew he was kind of all over the place. So, um, some other uh, recent guys that just did not make the cut: Donovan McNabb, Chris Wenke, uh, Andrew Luck, Kellen Moore, uh, Trent Dilfer, and Ooh. AJ McCarron. Did we, get all, um, we didn't but, get nineteen though. No, uh, and from nineteen to one, number nineteen, John Dutton from Nevada. Eighteen, Colt Brennan. Uh, Seventeen, Marvin Graves from Syracuse in the early nineties. Number sixteen, the first quarterback to do it, Jim McMahon uh, from BYU, oh, late seventies. Uh, recent uh, Toledo Rocket, Logan Woodside, Will Greer, Johnny Football. Brian Brom from Louisville in the mid-2000s. Marcus Mariota, the two Florida quarterbacks that Josh mentioned. Uh, Jameis Winston at Florida State. Uh, Bradford and Rudolph who were mentioned. Number five, here was a name that I was surprised to see. Steve Sarkeesian mm-hmm. uh, at BYU. Only played two years there, but averaged 9.5 yards per attempt in 95 and 96. Uh, he must have f- just barely met the 700 attempt yeah but if you play two seasons 13 games per season that's like 27 yards per attempt there so even if they're only playing 12 games a year you could get that by throwing the ball what 30 times a game would have had to have been more because he played in the 80s right uh see for 95 96 they still might have been playing 10 game seasons even in the mid 90s With, with a bowl 11 then probably yeah but, I mean, either way, they were putting it in the air like 45 times a game. So that was not Very really true. an issue. Um, number four, Bryce Petty. Number three, Baker Mayfield. Two, Ty Detmer. And number one all time uh, from Boise State, Ryan Dinwiddie from 2000 to 2003. I don't even remember him. I think of Kellen Moore. I think of Zabransky. I think of Jared uh, Zabransky. He's the first person that always yeah. pops in my head. I think when of I- – <clears throat> You know, he, he just recently played there, so I think of Brett Rippon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. God, Boise's had some good quarterbacks. Yeah, well, uh, the, uh, the new kid might be the best yet. Yeah, it's a shame that uh, the Pac-12 has uh, UCLA and Oregon State in their league. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyhow, uh, with that, let's get to the deep roots. And, Josh, we'll start with the Cyhawk Trophy. You had to wait a while to get to the finish, and it was quite the finish. Uh, but <laughs> Iowa ended up beating their cross-state rivals um, in a game that was um, uh, in, in a game that was just uh, crazy with the weather. Um, final score ended up being eighteen to seventeen. I mean, uh, Josh, I'm just gonna kind of give you the floor because I don't even know where to start with this one. Well, it came down to the team that played smarter won the game because if you look at the box score cyclones had 105 more yards than iowa at 126 more passing yards averaged 9.3 yards per pass to iowa's 5.7 they had a better rushing average although iowa had a few more rushing yards than them but Iowa State did some fundamentally bad things. They had a fumble from their quarterback, Brock Purdy, towards the end of a really nice drive that got deep into Iowa territory, probably left a minimum of three points on the field for that one. 
they had the famous, now infamous, punt mistake at the end of the game that let Iowa win. Um, but additionally, Iowa was better on third down, and it wasn't even close. Iowa was 10 of 19 on third down. Iowa State just three of nine. There was even a third and 23 that Iowa converted. Um, and so Iowa State in many ways outplayed Iowa, and I feel very, very fortunate. I feel very, very lucky that Iowa won this game. But I think that in many aspects, the smarter team won, the maybe not more prepared team, but maybe the team that controlled their emotions of the thing a little bit better won. Um, for instance, after the first delay, Iowa State came out and hit a wonderful uh, double pass or, or a, uh, wider, a um, running back pass for a touchdown. It was like a 70-yard play. Iowa could have packed it in right then. Um, the second delay happens, and they came out a different team. They came out, and I thought they got the better of the, the game after that second delay. And what's incredible and what's encouraging if you're an Iowa fan in terms of their prospects um, at potentially winning the West is Iowa was crazy banged up. They had defensive backs and safeties just like found them that week basically it felt like uh they had a whole bunch of people in the secondary banged up starting a bunch of new faces they did a lot of bending but they didn't do a whole lot of breaking they played a pretty soft zone uh for most of the game to prevent the big play um they got no pass rush iowa state bottled up the outstanding defensive line Iowa has extremely well, but the linebackers played well outside of the trick play that yielded a big touchdown. They weren't hurt by the deep plays. They controlled the ball in terms of not having any turnovers. They controlled it in terms of the third down conversion. So it came down to kind of a fortunate win and a lucky win but there were some encouraging signs for both teams, but for the Hawkeyes who when healthy, if they can get some of their secondary players back really do have a chance to win the West. It was nice to avoid a, um, a disappointing and bitter loss. Uh, I do feel bad for Iowa state. You don't really want to see a game, no matter how much I love my Hawkeyes come down to just an unfortunate miscommunication I don't know if the the blocker couldn't hear the return man saying that it was a short punt yelling Peter 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 whatever it is I don't know if there was a mix-up and the return man didn't even yell anything but um I've just never seen a muff punt like that it hit a blocker in the back for those of you that haven't caught the play yet and it was a bizarre one Coach, that one hurt so much to lose. Like, I, I, I felt bad for Iowa State, obviously because of Josh, I'm rooting for Iowa to win the game, but I felt so bad for Iowa State to lose in that fashion. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a dumb play to lose on. You know, you, you spend all of that time building your program up to where, you know, where we can compete in this rivalry. And you do you – do, what you feel like is enough 
to win the game. And even in that moment, you feel like you have done enough to give yourself a chance to take the ball down and take and kick a field goal and win the game. Your defense gets a great, tremendous stop. You force a punt. Now you got a chance. And special team strikes. Your return guy does not communicate with his blocker. The blocker's obviously not tracking the ball. And uh, it just hits him. Uh, so it's a, lot, it's a combination of bad luck, poor communication, um, something you got to be more alert with. But, you know, every game, and we tell our kids this at, at Hillwood even, every game's going to come down to about three or four plays uh, in the game. Uh, this obviously was a huge one. But there was, you know, I, I think throughout the course of the game, there, there was a few plays that the, that the Hawkeyes made um, that, you know, that just put them over the edge. And I think both teams are – I think both teams played pretty well. I give the edge to Iowa, obviously, because they were more beat up. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest factor was, was mental toughness uh, and, and, and focus. I think Iowa did a great job of doing that. Um, I, I, don't, I can't say that they have a lot of experience with weather delays, but you can tell that the experience level of the coaching staff on the Iowa side is greater than that of the Iowa State uh, locker room, and and you could tell just kind of the way they handled the, uh, the the weather delays, and it didn't really, it didn't really affect them as much as you think it would, or as much as a big delay would affect any other team. And I certainly don't blame Iowa State for letting it affect them, uh, because that's a tough thing to do. But um, you know, it's a six-hour deal, and uh, one of the funniest quotes coming from that was uh, Kurt Ferentz saying. Uh, quote, I came in and someone was eating a hoagie. And, uh, you know, that was in response to a couple of his support staffers. They went out and actually grabbed sandwiches uh, during the delay. So For the team, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so the, the, the takeaway, what's the takeaway? Well, um, you know, Iowa was on the road. Um you know, and it's just the mental toughness uh, aspect of it. Uh, they were able to win. Uh, they were going. They went ten of nineteen on third down, uh, which is also important. And then they won the turnover battle two to nothing. One one of those being the crucial special teams error uh, for Iowa State. What do you take away from it? Well, um, two weeks ago they were barely awake for the Northern Iowa game. They <laughs> they won in triple overtime. We've talked about that. Um, they. Uh, you know, but 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 they've improved and they've gotten better. They've since woken up. Obviously, um, they played they've played better. But um, special teams, man, <laughs> they they might be working on a punt return uh, a little bit more this week. Uh, but uh, it was it was uh, it was a crazy play nonetheless. I'll tell you a, another crazy finish, just slightly related to this. Just a little tangent. Uh, I believe it was my senior year of high school. Um, my high school went through some lean, lean years on the field when I was in school there. And um, my high school was an ongoing lean year. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a lean decade. And we're, we're in position for a potential win. We're down by like one or two points. Um, hold the team 
uh, hold the opposing team on a defensive stand, you know, get like a three and out, use all of our timeouts. I had a couple tackles for loss. It was something ridiculous, like fourth and like 25, fourth and 30 might be like a holding along the way. I just remember it was an insanely long fourth down conversion. And uh, they come out to punt, and I turned to my friend. Uh, we mentioned him before, Cam, friend of the program. And I was like, we're going to screw this up. Because, like, it, it was just clear that the coaching staff was in over their heads uh, while I was there. And sure enough, what do we do? Rough the punter, 15-yard personal foul, automatic first down. They take two kneel downs, two or three kneel downs, and the game. Like, oh. yeah. Like, what are, you, what are you doing? Why are you even in the same zip code as the punter? Yeah, that's that's it's a recipe for disaster. I could go on. We could we could have a whole we could have our whole off season uh, podcast series <laughs> on things like this that I've experienced or heartbreaking Heart defeats. Yeah, we could have a whole thing on this. Uh, Matt will have a Matt will have a five hour uh, run of Bills games all lined up for us. Yeah, I mean, oh. I, I think I think I've just about seen every possible way you can lose. Uh, Corey, 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 you're not a you, you. You're not a Bills fan. I'm sorry, but it's it's. I'm sorry. Your your argument. I'm a is Falcons in, fan. Okay, that's nice. But you, you know, guys have. You, you know how bad the Falcons were. At least like you 19th, got Michael. At least you got like good Michael Vick for like two seasons. We had we were we were bad from 1966 up until 2008. We never Falcons never had back to back winning seasons. I mean. You had the Dirty Birds. Yeah, we did have White. the Dirty Birds. And then Jamal Anderson tore his knee up the next year, and the Dirty Birds were were just smacked down. Wasn't one, down. Of, wasn't one of the bigger issues that their safety was caught in a prostitution string on the night before the Super Bowl? Oh, yeah, that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm hard-pressed yeah, to think one. of someone who's had a worse night before the Super Bowl, and that even includes Ray Lewis, who murdered someone. Yeah, you, Eugene Robinson is picking up hookers the night before the Super Bowl. You want to he was an all-pro that year. He was like the linchpin to that defense. Other than Scott Norwood, uh, you guys yeah. pretty much got your ass handed to you in all the Super Bowls. Yeah, the one that we we felt like uh, for a minute. I mean, the, the one, Falcons did too. the The one we, that Frank, the one that Frank Reich came in when uh, the year that they, um, the the Falcons we, owned the largest collapse in Super Bowl history. In case you're wondering, twenty-eight to three, that was fun. Yeah. Um, no. Can I keep going? No, no, you, you don't need to. You don't need to. I think we need to uh, keep moving on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, on the topic, on the topic of terrible coaching, let's transition seamlessly to uh, what Dan the hell Martin Doozy was doing against Penn State. Let's yeah. attempt a few more field goals down by seven points with five minutes to go in the game. What are you yeah, doing? Coach, I mean, like, I have no idea what is he thinking. A, they have first and goal from the one. And then Let, – let's, let's just say uh, it's Michigan State football and I did not watch. So, catch me up on this. Well, it's not Michigan All State. Right. It's, it's yeah. Pitt. So, it's Pitt. Here, you, here you go, Coach. It's 17 to – Even worse. That's it's 17 to 10. Okay. Pitt has had a nice drive that started okay. way back at their own 34-yard line with all over eight minutes left. They are working down the field. 
they convert a fourth and one at their own 43 to keep the drive alive. They get down to first and goal, incomplete pass, run for no gain, incomplete pass, fourth and one, well, fourth and goal at the one with four minutes, 54 seconds left down a touchdown. They attempted a field goal that they missed. Fourth and goal from the one, and you need seven points? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. With four minutes left. And 54 seconds. Oh, God. Oh, I don't even know what to say to that. Why? I think that Why sums up that? I think that's so- I think that sums up this game. Let's move on to the next one. They had first they they had first and goal from the one. Both teams looked not great. <laughs> um it was not the prettiest game I've ever watched. I don't know I don't know about you, Josh, but uh, why would you do that? <laughs> well, Go now that we've broken, you're on the one. Now that we've broken the coach, let's uh move to Listen, Florida. No, Go hold to- up. Hold up. I gotta explain this one now. This is bugging me. Um <laughs> Fourth and goal from the one, okay? Worst case scenario, you don't get it. It's their ball on the on the on the minus one. So realistically, even with four minutes to go, you get a three and out right there, you still got great field position. And you still have a chance to go down and, and score again. So th- I mean the risk the risk and the, the risk is not greater than the reward like you still have good field position if you don't get it at the one but it's at the one yard line you call a timeout tell your guys to nut up and let's go <laughs> and uh, i believe we- narduzzi explained it saying something like if they w- wanted to win the game they needed to score twice which will go for overtime uh, or go for a two-point conversion if you want we'll go to for win two. it <laughs> Yeah. Score the freaking touchdown and figure it out with the other four and a half minutes left. <laughs> God. Come on, yeah. Narduzzi. You're better than that. Well, is he though? I mean, we've got like what five years of evidence now that maybe this is kind of what he is. He's better than that situation. I mean, I'm not saying he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, but my God. Yeah. No, I, I... You know, we were I mean, high on that. Pitted, he, he got pit into a. I mean, although, although his road's not really all that bumpy, but he got pit into a conference championship game. He won a division. I mean, yeah. you know, it's not very difficult. I realize that. But we still. were all really high on the Narduzzi hire when it happened. We love Narduzzi. I, I think it's he's becoming maybe. more and more obvious. He's a phenomenal defensive coordinator and um, can probably maybe no longer be a head coach. No, yeah, I'm, it, I'm kind of with you guys on that. But still, fourth and one, usually you err on the side of recklessness in that situation. And they already went for a fourth down earlier in the game, too. It's on that very drive. Yeah, it's weird. So weird. Like, usually coaches, like, four and a half minutes, sometimes, like, they're overzealous. Not <laughs> Pat Narduzzi. Um, field goal Pat. Field goal Pat. Well. You and Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> Coach, uh, let's head down to the SEC next. Let's do. Yes, please. Uh, Florida and Kentucky played a fun one. It looked like Kentucky was going to win that one. They did. Not quite going away, but 
you know, come the end of the third quarter, it's 21 to 10. They, they, you're, they were you're in control. Cat, you're like, yeah, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. Then, you know, especially, you know, Felipe Franks is out. He's now going to be out for the season. Kyle that Trask. Might, that Kyle might Tr- be a, that might have done them a favor. Maybe. Well, Kyle Trask is in and he looked better than Felipe Franks, quite frankly, ever has. Um, That's what I'm saying. Um, and, you know, I mean, they weren't, it, it was not a fantastic Florida game by any means, but Kentucky, I don't know, I guess this is my question for you, coach. Did, uh, did Florida win it or did Kentucky lose it? Kentucky lost it. Um, they lost it. They were in control well into the second half. They, uh, their defense just let them down. Um, and well, so also, did their offense, they're, they had four turnovers. Yeah. They, they, you know, four turnovers and their defense just couldn't hold, which I don't blame, but, uh, Sawyer Smith threw a crucial, like, momentum-changing interception. Um, and then uh, defense just uh, – defense – you know, their defense has been able, had been able to stand tall throughout, you know, throughout the, most of the game and, and maintain control of it. But, you know, 19 points in the fourth quarter, you know, that's just – that's just a whatever. Um, but, uh, you know – I just a lot of things just go wrong. Kentucky just a lot of it's just Kentucky just not experienced with with this type of thing uh, yet. Uh, they're and not, it, they're you not know, that the kicker. I felt bad for him. Unfortunately, his name is Chance Poor, which is not exactly <laughs> no. the greatest name for a kicker. But I mean, oh, he missed no. a thirty-five yarder with less than a minute left that would have yeah. put Kentucky up twenty-four to twenty-two, and then yeah. next thing you know, it. You know, three plays later, Florida scored another touchdown to put them up by eight. Yeah, um, there was also there was also an extremely questionable targeting call mm-hmm. um, that had. I mean, look, the refs have done a really good job this year with the with the whole targeting deal. Uh, so I'm not I'm not compl- I'm not going to be that person that says, "Oh, targeting's ruining football." It's really not. It really has. It's really been for the most part a non-issue, but occasionally it pops up because human beings referee games and it's going to happen. So, you know, if you're in the business of blaming officials, you know, yes, they made a bad call. Yes, it was costly. But again, it's humans. What do you expect? So um I mean if you want a costly refs, I mean just look at the ridiculous, pathetic end of the Michigan State Arizona State game. Where they missed a blatant leaping penalty. Um, Pac-12 refs are, 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 they're the worst. They are the worst. Although although ACC refs also somehow miss seconds. So they miss seconds. That was, well, that was the the, the interesting that, uh, here's the deal. Here's the deal with, with refs nowadays, especially in college football. College football is getting faster. Here's the problem. College football is getting faster. These guys aren't getting – see, I'm under the assumption that these guys – are these guys full-time refs now? I know they weren't before. Um, Whatever they are, they're overworked and underpaid. Yeah, like the NFL guys, they have their own like – like you're an NFL ref and that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, those guys have gotten better. So those got that qual- quality of that product has improved ever since they kind of like moved towards that's- like – well, yeah, it has overall. Overall, well, yeah, overall. Yeah, come on, it's not. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, there's missed calls. There's blown calls. That's going to happen. But I think it's better than it has been. We're going to have to uh, agree to disagree. No, no. It's not better than it has been. (laughs) I guess that kills my argument. All right. Anyway, um, what, uh, yeah, a couple takeaways. Uh, You know, Florida, obviously, Kyle Trask stepped up in a huge way. Um, The Michael Piran is just, he's, he's, He's like the the rock that that is that is holding Florida together right now. So, um, but they go to the they go to the grocery bag and they get a win. So, um, yeah, good. I mean, go for, for them for score. for pulling it off. Yeah. yesterday. Well, yeah. I mean, bad for me because I don't like Florida. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you guys have mentioned uh, some of the turnovers just to sorry Gator fans. Yeah, just to tie a bow on that. Uh, four turnovers for Kentucky, three interceptions. Uh, Coach mentioned the backbreaking interception late uh, in the game, but he also threw just an absolute no, 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 no type interception on the first drive of the second half. Uh, second and 15 at the Florida 18. You're in the red zone. Like, you you can't do that. You figure worst-case scenario, they get a field goal. It would have put them up 17 to 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, if it plays out the exact same, Kentucky goes up. Uh, then with their next touchdown, 24 um, 7. Yeah. You know, maybe, the, maybe they play that fourth down attempt they had um, after that touchdown drive. Maybe they change their mind there, knowing that they've got a two touchdown lead. Um, you know, everything kind of changes and red zone turnovers are just they're like the worst possible thing you can do they it's hurt point, it's so much thing. they hurt they, they hurt so yeah. much as a fan i i mean i can't even imagine coach like how much your blood boils when your t- team turns the ball over in the red zone yeah it, it's oh my god uh two weeks ago homecoming okay Y'all have um, homecoming really early, by the way. Yeah, like, we, we do. Y- y'all have homecoming like August. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it it's, makes no sense. It was right around Labor Day. but um, <laughs> Yeah, well, no Labor sense. Day this year was September 2nd, so it was probably like August 30th. No, it was actually September 6th was our, was our homecoming. Okay, okay, still. Still early. Still really early. Like, I don't think half the time I was in high school, I'd even started on September 7th. Yeah, it's yeah it makes no sense but uh nonetheless um we have the ball down in the red zone um probably 15 yard line 12 yard line somewhere in like the mid red zone so they've been giving us slants all freaking night long right they 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 got into a cover two look and one one of the things you do against a cover two that's really effective is you clear out the alley or you clear out the seam and you run either a slant or a dig up under up underneath it into that zone, and there's usually a there's usually a big gap there because your safety has to take the vertical route, and your alley player um, is not you know where where he would normally be in different coverages where he'd be out wider, so he's in conflict and he has a long way to go to get there. So usually when you go you go slant seam it clears out that zone and that slant guy settles in right there and you hit him. No problem. Well, our quarterback decides to launch it into double coverage to the seam route that I knew 
as soon as I called the play, was not going to be there. Um, it was the sacrificial lamb, and he throws it into the right into the teeth of it, and we, they get an interception. Um, that was probably our best chance to score in the second half. We didn't score at all in the second half. We ended up losing. I'm not saying that was the reason, but uh, that one certainly didn't help. And the only thing it helped do was make my blood boil, and I had a Kirby moment that, <laughs> that in that moment where, like, I grabbed my visor and I was, like, trying to rip it off my head. <laughs> like, yeah. So um, I, I know how that feels. It's not fun. No, it is definitely not fun. Um, well, Josh, uh, let's... And Auburn ran a fleece flicker this weekend, too, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> it wasn't, like, from, like, their own five-yard line, too? Yeah. It was crazy. And it went for, like, 95 yards? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so, okay, Josh, let's head over quickly. Uh, UCF kept up their winning ways. They oh. were – they just – they – uh, put it down on Stanford in the first half. They were up 38 to seven at halftime, eased off the ass in the second half. Uh, Stanford is bad. Well, <laughs> KJ, KJ Costello came back, but they were no better than. They're bad. What's they are. On? They're not, I don't know, they're just not good. Um, yeah. But they're having quarterback issues. KJ Costello was ineffective. They have a lot of issues. Uh, team was not having quarterback issues, Josh. Uh, UCF. Um, they had Brandon Wimbush to start the year. Uh, you know, I will say definitely kudos to Josh Heupel for even uh, at after basically one and a half games, uh, winning games, they pulled Brandon Wimbush for this freshman, Dylan Gabriel. And all he's done is just, you know, look like Mackenzie Milton 2.0. Another Hawaiian kid there. there there's this. Yeah. Uh, there's now a UCF a Hawaii connection. I don't know what, I don't know what's going on with that, but whatever it is, there is some serious Tua magic. Grad transfer. Um, yeah, well, there the, is. Tua's little brother's going to Alabama next year. He's already yeah. at Alabama. Oh, he's, wait. I he's already there, an, there. I thought there was another one after them too. Then. Is there a, is there a third one? No, yeah. I guess I thought it was, I, th- I guess I thought he was incoming freshman next year, but. Yeah. Talia, Talia is, uh, no, he's already there. Anyway, as the person who gave Central Florida a national title, and I don't know why we need to talk about Alabama when we can talk about a phenomenal Central Florida team. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel absolutely torched Stanford. The real national champs. Yeah, and, you know, the Knights just, they're relentless. And one of the things that that relentlessness is reflected in, as Coach could tell you, is how much is your defensive line blowing up plays, getting after the quarterback, things like that. So a little bit hard luck, no sacks against Stanford, but six tackles for losses, six quarterback hurries. And how about this for an absurd stat? You talk about playing some good coverage in the secondary, having some active hands, nine defended passes. Stanford's turning out to not be any good this year, but I think Central Florida had a pretty big part in this game being a route with that relentless of defense. And obviously if we're going to highlight just one player, how about Richie Grant for the Knights? Uh, eight total tackles, four solo. He defended three of those passes. Uh, he had himself a ball game, but yeah, the, the Knights are clicking on all cylinders. Um, would love to see them in the playoffs. If Boise state won out, I'd love to see them in the playoffs Hate to be a broken record, but 
why the hell is this playoffs, quote-unquote playoff, four teams? It's absolutely ridiculous. We have five conferences that are clearly power conferences. We have the American and the Mountain West that are way above average conferences. They're pretty close to being in that power range. I think a top-end American and a top-end Mountain West team is a lot closer to the Michigan States, the Wisconsins, the Iowa, Iowas of the world than we care to admit. And it just gets into, I'm sorry, Clemson. You, yeah, you won titles according to the rules of the game, but you had a pretty BS and crappy way to get there when there's other teams, especially Central Florida. I know that was an Alabama year, but hello, Central Florida went undefeated and looked pretty damn good every time they played. So, you know, hats off to Central Florida for taking advantage of a great opportunity to just mollywop a Pac-12 team. But, I mean, the NCAA is just hot garbage. The college football playoffs hot garbage. ESPN is hot garbage for promoting it. And the sooner we get to eight teams, or ideally 16, uh, the sooner we can start having champions that we no longer debate about. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, yeah, I was coach. Just, yeah, I was go just going to say UCF, man. They, my God, man. Let's just let's just go ahead and orchestrate a trade, and let's just get them in the Big Twelve, um, just so they can be in a power conference. Because, I mean, they I think would be competing with Oklahoma year in and year out in, in the Big Twelve. Um, or can we just trade them into the ACC and? Uh, put them in that other division and let Clemson play them every year in the ACC title game. Um, can and let we that tra- be a good game. Can the Big Ten trade Rutgers, Maryland, Nebraska, and a ham sandwich for Central Florida? Wait, wait. They I don't want to give up the ham. I don't. I don't want to get. I don't want to. Uh, I, I don't want to give up the ham sandwich here. They need. Uh, they, need they need a sandwich. team. They need a, uh, a school to be named later. Um, well, well, Michigan State's offense is unwatchable again, so they can have Sparty. They're just unwatchable, period, especially when they wear those those extremely – I don't know what to call it because there's no adjective strong enough, but those dadgum green highlighter uniforms, they're trying <laughs> to be Oregon, and they're not Oregon at all. Um, let's just say whoever designed those, whoever okayed that, whoever called Nike was like, hey, yeah, those look great. That person needs to be fired and forever banned from designing anything. I'm going to assume it was Draymond Green. I hope not. That <laughs> um, was, yeah, well, oh, you know, bad. guys, it got UC- me off track, but UCF is freaking nasty. UCF is uh, going to have a, another Gabriel. chance next week against uh, another Power 5 team. They get to play Pitt in Pittsburgh. And, oh, you know, crush them. Yeah, I mean – it's gonna. It's gonna, oh gonna attempt. It's gonna attempt a couple red zone field goals to avoid a shutout. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pittle have it. Pittle have it fourth and in inches. Like the 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 nose of the football is like the like a, literally a chain feet. link, like a chain, like a, a chain link. link. All you have to do, like, you could make the most unathletic play, and still score, and they would go for a field goal. <laughs> like you could you could trip over your shoelace and fall flat on your face and score they would go for a field goal meanwhile UCF is going to be up like 
UCF's going to be up like 67 to nothing, and they're going to be on the one-inch line, and they're going to kick a field goal because they're that demoralized. Yep. Well, uh, I'm starting to become a UCF fan, but they didn't. <laughs> they I was going to adopt them as my group of five team, but um, they didn't fall under the rules. So because we had to adopt one that wasn't a ch- grand champion or a national champion. Or, or a national champion. Um, well, uh, let's stick in the American Conference because Temple uh, was able to take down um, what had been the high-flying Maryland offense in a pretty tight one, 20-17 to 17, um, in Philadelphia. Uh, Coach, Anthony McFarland still had a great day on the ground for uh, the Terps, but their passing game yeah. just could not get going. No, no, it couldn't. And and Temple just had a good game plan against them. Um, they were also just off. Uh, it was just one of those where they just couldn't find a rhythm. Um, and, you know, that just, you know, whatever. Uh, the, the, the biggest thing, obviously, was the, was the goal line stand. Uh, but defense, you know, Temple's defense came to play. They came ready to play. And, you know, and, and I don't think uh, Maryland was, was there. I don't think they were ready. I thought they – were probably uh, feeling themselves a little bit and reading their own press clippings. And, um, yeah, so that's what happens. Yeah, that's what happens. And and uh, Temple just took advantage of it. They were opportunistic, and um, their defense bowed up when, when called upon. So hats off to Temple. Um, you know, it's been a team that's always been very intriguing, at least since, uh, at least since Al, Al Golden was there. So, um, yeah, th- yeah. How about that name, huh? I'll go. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it shouldn't be too surprising that Temple's playing some good football. They have had some decent success recently, but uh, they got a coach that when he was At least hired, not Georgia Tech. Yeah, when when they hired their current head coach Rod Carey. This is a guy that we are all like, yeah, he's a solid coach. Makes sense. Yeah. But what I don't think he re- – what most people realize is he's, like, very quietly workmanlike. So he took over after Dave Doran left to go to NC State. He coached the Orange Bowl as the interim coach. Well, nothing fell off. They went 12-2, and 8-0 the next year, 2013. 2014, 11-3, and 7-1. and one. Then they won the division again. 2016, they went five and seven, but amazingly, we're still a factor in the MAC because they went five and three in the division. They had a just a million injuries that year. And then they get back to being healthy, eight and five, eight and six, but six and two in conference. So Northern, I could run through it, but they always scheduled tough. He always had a hard non-conference slate. That's why his record in some of those years isn't as flashy as the other years, but they were always consistently well-coached. They were always consistently a factor in their conference, and they were always just kind of a scary team to have to play if you schedule them in the non-conference. He's bringing a lot of that same mentality for Temple, and what I loved about this game, this is going to be a bit of a backhanded compliment to Temple, so I apologize for this, but you are – a really good defensive team and you're also a team that doesn't quit when you can play quite frankly as crappy as temple did (laughs) three of 14 on third down three turnovers 
seven penalties, lost the time of possession, and at the end of the game they had a seven-yard punt, which set up Maryland in great position to win the game. And yet Temple won. Can you imagine how good this team would have looked if they had played halfway confident, halfway competent, excuse me, offensive football and didn't have a seven-yard punt? I mean, this team is going to be a factor in the American. I'm really excited to see where the Owls go from here. Um, I thought their quarterback, Russo, had a really nice day against a Big Ten defense. And uh, we could go on and on and on about how good that defense was. Uh, but I'm just going to throw out one name, Harrison Hand. Uh, Ten total tackles, six solo, half tackle for loss, defended a pass. Uh, really, really good day. Um, they also had a kid with three tackles for loss and Sean Bradley. Um, yeah, McFarland for Maryland got some yards on them. That's to be expected, but they made Josh Jackson's day miserable. Really fun to see that out of Temple. As for Maryland, we all kind of did a little bit of a warning last week, which was uh, you did it against some struggling teams in Syracuse. You did it against an FCS team. Uh put up or shut up against Temple, a team that beat you a year ago. And uh, let's just say their coach, Mike Loxley, regressing to the mean, let's be honest, awful coach, good recruiter. See how it goes. Uh, coach, anything to add to that? No, I think he nailed that perfectly. I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, don't know if I, could, I don't know if I could add anything to that to bolster that. So, um, you know, we're, we're, it'll be interesting to see kind of how this unfolds for Maryland and just kind of see how they how they play out the rest of the rest of the campaign here. So, um, you know, Mike Loxley is, you know, obviously got off to a hot start and obviously has progressed to the mean now. And let's see if he let's see if he continues to overachieve, underachieve. We'll just kind of see how it unfolds properly achieved to his to to what we expect out of him. Um, not necessarily. Well, program, our expectations just... were pretty low to begin with. I mean, you could say he's already surpassed them in some ways. But yeah. by... if he's got a good staff around him, though, I mean, that can that That's can true. mask a lot of his deficiencies. So that's true. Um, but nonetheless, I think uh, that's going to do it for us, then, guys. Did we uh, do we miss anything? I'm afraid to say we did. What did we miss, Josh? We buried a major league. What happened this time? Pig Suey, they are over 500. They had a rough trip to Ole Miss, but I think their bounce back is well underway. Uh, we had them slotted for 12-0. and 11-1 is still pretty dang good. They looked incredible against Colorado State. They put up 55 points, 500 yards of offense, 300 passing yards, 200 rushing yards. What a day against the Bobos. They blew them out by 21 points because the defense was locked and loaded, as our president would tweet. Arkansas held the Rams to just a paltry 420 total yards. They held the Rams to a laughable 200 passing yards, and they held the Rams to a just hysterical 220 yards. When your defense is firing on all cylinders like that how can you not expect to beat the likes of these auburn teams these slow plotting sec teams like how is Tua gonna rack up any passing yards against arkansas 
I'm excited. Pencil them in for 11 wins. Let's get this thing done. Let's go, Arkansas. SEC West champs. Well, he is all aboard the hype train. Uh, Whoa, Pixie. I don't know what their um, their I don't know the the Woo Pig Suey fight song. I probably should at this point. <laughs> Woo Pig Suey, yeah. Woo Pig Suey. Yeah. If, that, if if that's it, I mean, I can get on board. That's all they can probably remember Woo anyway. Pig Suey, yeah. <laughs> okay, guys. Um, with that, um, we're gonna wrap it up. So, on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach here in Music City, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in the Windy City, this is the professor in Nashville saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion and College Football Podcast. You better tune in. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion and check out our Facebook page. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.